I'm Jake. And I'm Steven. Welcome to Tales from the SaaS Graveyard, where we talk to employees at tech companies that are in the middle of the bell curve, not going out of business, but definitely not hitting the big time. The SaaS Graveyard is a purgatory populated by companies that have made it to the annual revenues in the 30 to 50 million range, but can't get to the next level, which is pretty impressive outside of Silicon Valley, but frowned upon here. We interview folks in various roles about their experience working at companies like this. We look to see what common themes emerge across industries and roles. Today we will spend time with our friend David, who will talk about his first job as a developer at a user guidance company focusing on tooltips that we will call Clippy. David left his home in Minnesota to join a Boston-based Series A company. Before we talk to David, Jake, have you ever moved anywhere for a job? So I haven't necessarily moved somewhere specifically for a job, but I have, um, I was once, you know, I lived outside of the Bay Area for about five years and I was moving back and that's why I was looking for jobs in the Bay Area, even though so I had to use my, my in-law's address to make it pretend like I lived in the Bay Area. And at the time, right before I came back, I was doing some traveling and I started looking for jobs while I was traveling and I noticed that there was a, 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 a travel company that was looking for, for someone and so I sent in my resume with my fake San Francisco address. Uh, but in my cover letter, I mentioned that I you know, was qualified for the job. And also, I love to travel and was currently traveling. And I did get a response uh, pretty quickly from that company. I actually had my first phone screen when I, from an internet cafe in Thailand. And um, the hiring manager mentioned that my, my resume really stood out because I was traveling. And so I, I often think that my career in tech had a big boost uh, from that uh, trip to Thailand. How about you? Well, that's pretty impressive, Jake. I haven't actually moved anywhere specific for a job outside of moving from uh, college uh, to my first first role. But I might have to try that whole Thailand thing out for whenever I'm applying to jobs next. But, you know, I do know the importance of you got to have that address in the same city or in the same area as the companies you're applying to because it's just such a quick way for that hiring manager to filter filter your resume out, even if you're really passionate about the company, because they might just think, oh, this person is trying to move move here, or are they really serious? Are they just applying to attend roles that they're just seeing anywhere there? So if you can leverage you know, a friend or family's address or anything like that uh, when applying to roles, I highly recommend it because you're most likely going to get a higher uh, return on, on effort there, I would say. Which, you know, I think in retrospect, it's ridiculous that you use somebody else's address, because let's say you just pick some random address in San Francisco. It's not like your employer would have gone and knocked on the door and seen like, hey, does Jake really live here? You know, you just need to you just need to put that fake address up on your resume. Uh, but we, we I think everyone does. They try and put, put an address of a friend or a relative to make it seem uh, realistic and to have that phone number with the area code that matches the city. Um, but, you know, now now in this post-COVID world, it doesn't really matter. But uh, that's what we'll be telling our grandkids about what we used to do. Oh, yeah, we will. And with that, well, let's hear about David's experience moving for his first developer role. David, welcome to the SaaS Graveyard. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So uh, before we get into it, let's talk a little bit about what you were doing beforehand You before you joined Clippy. Uh, how in your career did you end up there? Yeah, that's a great question. So I went to a small liberal arts college uh, in the Upper East Coast um, and you know, kind of you know, true to liberal arts fashion, I kind of, I think I went in thinking kind of uh, dead set on being a biochem and physics double major, you know, um, really, I was really into kind of like the folding at home kind of a realm uh, when I was in high school, like, oh, 
like how do you you know fold proteins and then you can, if you knew how they fold then you can like make proteins uh you know sequences that can like go and treat a bunch of diseases so i was really into that in high school i uh, went to college and then realized i was actually really bad at chemistry uh took my one and only computer science course the uh 101 or the equivalent and that was my worst grade in all of college so i didn't actually touch <laughs> computer science again <laughs> for the rest of college ended up graduating um with a, a double degree in biology and music uh i spent uh, one of a two-year program doing a master's in music composition and piano performance uh dropped out of that because i realized everyone else was way better than me um and kind of leaned back on my you know biology degree and and somehow luck into a job you know working in the Uh, environmental health and safety department at 3M. So it was interesting because, you know, biology was kind of a stretch already for kind of working in this department. Most of the people that I worked with there were, you know, a combination of like chemistry or biochem um and things like that. So, you know, like I said, I was really bad at chemistry. So, you know, it's kind of weird that I was there. <laughs> and so, it was like living in Excel um which uh you know I don't miss at all that's what I was doing is a lot of like taking a set of rules and applying it on you know changing but very similar you know types of data like similarly structured data and you know kind of found myself doing the same task over and over and over again and it was incredibly boring um so you know I had friends from high school and in college who kind of went into the tech industry and you know obviously kept in touch and they said hey i think you would really enjoy kind of the software side of it um and it sounds like you know it's like basically what you're doing but instead of doing it for you know in excel you can actually write some code to do it um so i kind of you know taught myself some scripting kind of brushed off my like notes or lack thereof from the my only computer science course in college <laughs> um and kind of just like taught myself uh during the time and uh one of the things i did was I ended up uh writing a uh, I think this Ruby script um that used the, like the Ruby XL gem uh and in connected to to Microsoft SQL Server and I had it run the query um so I had like a little like uh command line interface to like you know type in like where I was drawing the you know specific regulatory report from and then it would like then I would also define like which chemical databases to go look at and then also like the name of the excel file I wanted to create and so it actually I actually ended up automating my entire um <laughs> job as well as like everyone else that I worked with there who had been there for you know 5 10 15 years kind of doing this thing over and over again um and you know I think I would come in I didn't want to you know be too uh I guess maybe pompous or like you know <clears throat> I didn't want to be too obvious cuz I was like oh I'm getting paid by this company to like learn how to code that's how kind of how i treated it um mm -hmm. <laughs> so then i uh ended up what i would show up to work on monday morning i would run these scripts for you know i think i think a decent uh like regulatory analyst would do something around like one to two reports per week you know and i would do four because you know i want to be better than the median but not like so crazy that someone like starts asking questions about my reports um and you know it took maybe 10 or 15 minutes to run um and i i did that and then for the rest of the week from you know monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday i would just go read hacker news i would go read uh, i think it was like code wars and like this was way before leak code and so it was like cracking the code interview and like all these different things of like how do i you know get a job in 
tech as a software engineer um, and kind of just like, you know, doing, you know, messing around with projects and things like that on uh, 3M's time, unfortunately. So I did that for about two months and on, and then I got a call or not a call, a message from my immediate manager who got a message from his like manager's boss in 3M, like the, each department has like a, they're called like a lab manager, like they're the boss of the entire department. And I was terrified because like, oh no, like they're going to fire me because they know that like I barely do any work now. Um, so I kind of went in, you know, very, very terrified. Uh, you know, there's, uh, I was in Minnesota and a lot of Scandinavians, like a big, tall, you know, Swedish American guy, um, these like piercing blue eyes. And I, I just remember like being very, very intimidated by this man. And he said, you know, uh, you know, I was like, he's like asking me about my work and I was like, oh crap, like I'm going to get fired from my first job. Um, and then he said he, you know, my manager actually had nominated me to him to nominate to like the departments for like this award for having the best, like, and, you know, most consistent and high quality reports and like at a very high um, velocity. And so, you know, back then I was very, let's say bought into kind of like the loyalty to corporations. So I was like, Oh no, 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 it's, it, I didn't do anything. I just like kind of automated, but I would love to kind of get this on a server or something somewhere um, so that, you know, <clears throat> you know, the rest of the, you know, team could kind of um, benefit from this. And then we can maybe go focus on like different problems um, instead of like running these same type of reports day in and day out. And also, you know, from like a hiring perspective, I think, you know, if we kind of focused more on, you know, like CS or like statistics folks, we could probably end up doing a lot more on these types of automations to make like the department much more efficient. And I was really thinking this from the lens of like, oh, if 3M is a business, like how do I, you know, carve an area within this company that, you know, I can be very uh, helpful and then also have a career that I want. I wasn't really thinking about it in a different way, you know, very mm -hmm. poor company politics, which, you know, I can touch on about in the actual tech industry. Um, and uh, so, you know, I mean, this guy thought it was a great idea. You know, he introduced me a bunch of people. And um, obviously what happened was all my teammates who had been there, you know, at the company for, you know, five, 10, 15 years, uh, they were not so happy about this um, because I was changing kind of their way of life and kind of what they knew and, you know, how, how they viewed, you know, 3M as an employer and their work and their job. Uh, so I actually got reassigned from this department to the waste team. And to my understanding today, I'm pretty sure the waste team at 3M is like where 3M sends all their people um, when they want their careers to go die. Um, and I, and I think I, over that time I realized uh, like I need to get out of here and and think about you know how do I do it. So I did kind of look in the uh, you know Twin Cities area, but the tech scene there is like was not very good. You know back in 2015 and in, in like early 2016. So I kind of was like, well, you know I went to school in the East Coast. I kind of want to go back there. Um, so I kind of looked in the Boston area, uh, and you know just I and at the time I thought you know I applied to a bunch of places. I think I ended up applying to maybe maybe 10, 10 places. Um, and I heard back from seven of them and ended up getting offers for three. Um, so one of them <clears throat> was a, I would say a pretty large and publicly traded like fitness tracking company. Um, but it was, you know, the position for was like a junior software engineer writing backend services in Java. I didn't know Java. And also that was the language that was taught in the, my worst, um, grade <laughs> performance in college. So I was like, I don't want to do this. 
The other one was a uh, about the same size as a startup that I ended up going to um, that was in the kind of like restaurant point of sale uh, space. And they're not public, but I think they were borderline unicorn before all the you know COVID pandemic stuff hit. Um, but that was also in um, uh, Java. So I said, I don't know about that. And then we kind of settled on this. I kind of settled on this one thing called, you know, I think we're calling it Clippy, which was, uh, you know, kind of like a tooltip company help, you know, user onboarding um, and things like that. And, you know, all around the same time, I, uh, I think I had started watching Silicon Valley and I was like really, really bought into this idea that I want to go to a really, really you know, small startup at the ground level and like build something really cool. And, um, you know, it was like a shared office space, um, actually in the same uh, floor as this like restaurant point of sale system startup uh, and had like these swings and like a ping pong table. And I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is definitely what I want to do. So um, that's kind of how I ended up uh, in Boston. Awesome. And you just applied to Clippy just out of the blue or did you have any connections there that uh, influenced you to apply there? Nope. Straight. Yeah. Straight, straight out of the blue. Um, uh, I don't, I think I used AngelList uh, for that, but I can't, I'm not actually entirely sure if that was, I think I'd use like a combination of like the, you know, LinkedIn, you know, job boards and, and uh, like hacker news postings. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah. I, I, you know, uh, I did have friends in the industry, but you know, I had a really bad case of imposter syndrome. I was like, Oh, I'm not, you know, I didn't have a CS degree, you know, like I don't really know if I know how to code that well. So I'm going to, I'm going to go work at a different company, you know, as best to like uh, my ability to get mm-hmm. in there. And then after a couple of years, maybe I can go ask for like a referral to their, you know, what I thought at the time were like re- more legit companies. Got it. And what was the interview process like? Yeah, the interview process was um, really strange. So, um, you know, I didn't understand the whole concept of like, you know, I didn't, I think I even wrote on my like resume that I was in Boston. This was before, I think I had like signed a lease that wasn't starting for like another couple months um, in, in the, I guess, Somerville area. Um, but, you know, I didn't want them to think that I was like, from Minnesota to, you know, improve my candidacy. So like, I actually ended up flying out, you know, on my own money to go uh, interview at these places. And um, mostly it was in person. Um, It was two interviews. One was kind of like your, you know, more standard. uh, They gave me like a take home assignment, I guess, beforehand, um, which was like some light, very light, like HTML in, like templating really more than anything. And then uh, the in-person one was kind of like, you know, uh, very, very basic questions on like the browser and, um, and, you know, nothing really hard. I don't think they really even asked me to code like a hard algorithm. Um, maybe it was something with like string manipulation. Uh, but yeah, after that, it was kind of, you know, lunch with the uh, team. They, they got me um, uh, this at this barbecue place that I actually really, really like. Um, that was the first time I've been there and I've gone there many times since. Um, and that was kind of it. And then they were like, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to you. And I don't know if I was like their top candidate or not. I don't know if I did well. Like I said, I didn't actually interview mm-hmm. at that many places. So, um, you know, I, you know, they, they kind of said, and I was like, they're all also from a tech stack. Um, it was interesting to me because they were working in, um, 
JavaScript, which was, you know, like in 2015 was like definitely turning the corner um, and, you know, being the hot thing. They were, you know, using React, which I just only read about. Um, and, you know, having taught myself Ruby, they were, you know, had a large portion of their backend written in Elixir, which is kind of like an evolution of kind of from like the Ruby community. So I was like, yes, this is like the tech stack that I want to work in. Um, and it's not Java and it's a startup. So that's kind of why I decided to join. Got it. Now, is there any one piece of information you wish you knew uh, before you accepted the offer? Oh, yeah. Uh, so many. Uh, I think I, w- I should have asked, like, you know, what is the runway? You know, what what is the funding situation like? You know, what is your business model? Like, how do you guys make money? Right. I didn't really even understand that it was a tooltip company. I, I really thought it was just like I actually didn't really know. I just thought, you know, they partnered with like different um, startups and like made their apps better because that's how, you know, it was kind of pitched to me, you know, from like mm-hmm. the initial um, interview. Uh, I didn't realize it was like a layer that sits on top of of, of something else. Um, and uh, yeah, so definitely wish I had you know asked those questions or had had those things been clear. Also, um, you know, I don't know if any company will do this, but really more information on how like the you know compensation part works in terms of like startup equity as well as like you know. Um, you know, the types of benefits that you would expect from like, at this point, it was a seed stage company. Um, and I had no idea, you know, I was just, just really, really, uh, you know, very keen on working in a startup. Um, so yeah, wish I wish I had known like more about the kind of business side of it, and not so much focused on like, I want to work at a startup, and I want to work in, you know, these technologies that I think are kind of the hottest trend right now. Got it. When, when you say that you weren't clear on the, the compensation or how the equity worked, what did they, what did they offer and what did you not understand? So um, they offered uh, a, a, you know, I think options, um, uh, what is it, like ISOs. Uh, and I didn't ask to, you know, what is this even representative? Like, you know, 5,000 options. I mean, that sounds like a lot, you know, if there's, but I didn't know how many was out of, right? I don't know what the employee pool looked like. And I wish I had asked that um, before going in. And I think even from a compensation side, like I had, I didn't really understand the difference between um, like kind of the industries I was switching from, from like more of like a, you know, big uh, company where, um, especially in the lower cost of living area um, to kind of working at a, a startup. So I didn't really know what my market worth was. I do know that this, the off, the cash offer was lower than um either of the other two offers that i got but you know i didn't realize that i could have just asked them you know for more or anything like that. it was just like more standard like job negotiating tactics that it no of course you were you were still in minnesota uh while you were applying yeah. to all these jobs did you have to move earlier or did that throw off your plan with your lease at all for starting um, actually it didn't really it actually ended up working out pretty well um so uh yeah i think i you know, accepted the offer and I, you know, rented a, a, a van and packed all the stuff. And then I drove, then uh, drove from Minnesota to, to Boston. So now, now that you're starting at Clippy, let's hear a little bit about your first month. Like, what did that look like? Um, I mean, I was so stoked. I, I think that first month, I was just so happy to not have to, one, wear, uh, you know, a button down, you know, tucked into khakis with dress shoes to work. 
uh, two, like uh, I didn't have to like be in at the office at a certain time. So that like, you know, the more flexibility was cool. And then, you know, like I mentioned, I think the ping pong table, that was like a huge, huge benefit for me. Like, you know, I love, you know, just like uh, goofing off and hanging out with the uh, coworkers. So that was definitely messing at missing at 3M. Um, and that, you know, that was in spades here. Um, so that was super fun. Just like having that concept of like, oh, I can be friends with a, a coworker, but also like be getting paid to do it. So it was a lot of fun. Um, and in terms of like the type of work I was doing, I mean, a lot of it ended up being doing like, uh, kind of like bug support slash tech support for, for the, you know, existing product. And I just kind of thought I was like, oh, this is just like a, you know, rite of passage of, you know, that's also kind of explained to me, right? A passage of like everyone who knew who joins as well as like a way, good way to get an overview of like how our systems work. So while it wasn't like the, the type of, you know, code all day, every day type of, you know, life I was imagining, I was still pretty, mm -hmm. pretty excited about it. And I think I mentioned this earlier, but, you know, the company was actually very transparent in terms of like, um, the compensation philosophy, like the financial health of the company and everything, and could look up that information. Um, and so that was also really cool to see. Also, I don't think I'd ever seen a bank balance that was over, you know, seven figures. And when they had an over seven figure bank balance, like, hell, this is how much cash we have left in bank. I was like, wow, this is more money than I've ever seen in my life. So we're in a really good spot. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Now, were there any red flags in that first month or any weirdness that you noticed? Yeah, there definitely was. I think the the big the big thing that I noticed was um, I wasn't uh, so like I had kind of mentioned like the tech stack being one of the big sells for me, um, like working to getting to work in you know modern JavaScript using uh, and then writing in React as well as like maybe exploring more in like the Elixir and like the services side, and you know the kind of the project that I was doing kind of tech support for was. Um, a backbone JS app and uh, written in CoffeeScript. And uh, I'll just be like upfront, but like I actually hadn't really written any JavaScript moving up. So going from like Ruby scripting language to CoffeeScript was like one of the most jarring experiences. And there were no, there was no help, right? It was just kind of like, hey, go figure this out. Um, you know, I kind of, I, I don't know, I don't know exactly what I was expecting, but I kind of thought that maybe I could like tap one of the other engineers to like help me get set up. But it really wasn't like that. It was just like, here's a backbone app. Here's like a bunch of bugs that like, you know, our customers are reported and like go figure out how to fix them. Um, so I really felt like, wow, like I'm in way over my head and I'm also, you know, not getting kind of the support I need. Plus I'm not working on the, you know, languages and technologies that I thought I would be. Was the culture just that you couldn't ask uh, anyone for help or why why were you left so alone yeah so um i would say the culture was kind of like that i think every other i was the first i think junior um hire that they made on the engineering team so they didn't really have a process set up set up to kind of you know onboard me or like kind of help me figure out like what i'm supposed to be doing and like i said like the 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 you know backbone side of the app you know the application stack was the biggest legacy piece and all the other engineers who um, were working on kind of like the new the new world of stuff which was uh, at the time I didn't realize it was that at the time it, I felt like it was way different I didn't feel comfortable asking them and there was a lot of 
kind of talk about like how important like these new projects were for, you know, our revenue goals and like our sales goals. And so, um, you know, there was a lot of protection that the, the CEO, um, you know, kind of protected for the senior engineers and was very protective of their time. So I'm sure if like I were a senior engineer early on, I would have loved it. But as the, as the only junior, it was definitely uh, not the place to, to learn, learn um, a bunch of stuff. And overall, you know, what did you think of your colleagues? You, you came from 3M where you said that you know, you're significantly younger than everybody else. And now you're at a, a, a younger company. What, did you, what was your overall impression? Oh, I think I, I loved them. I, I, I was super excited. Um, I looked up to them and, you know, kind of with that imposter syndrome of being like a self-taught dev. Um, you know, I saw all these guys with and, and girls with like computer science degrees with like, you know, company names in tech that I recognized, you know, uh, and I was like, dang, like these guys know how to code and, you know, I don't understand how they can just know all these things um, about, you know, application development, like where did they learn all these things? I'm so far behind um, uh, kind of thing. So I really looked up to them in, in, in terms of um, their technical chops and experience. Uh, there was one engineer in particular who was actually quite um, helpful to me. And, you know, to this day, I think, um, you know, one of the a pretty big influence in, in, you know, what I like to subscribe to in terms of, you know, being helpful. Um, you know, he was one of the more senior engineers, but he also made time for me, like, you know, in the weekends and, and, and like, you know, late at night to help me like get set up because he understood that I was kind of brought on with like zero um, resources or process to help me get set up. And I think about when you started, you know, you mentioned like the sort of, it seems like it sounded like a very stereotypical startup office. Was there the stereotypical like in, uh, new new employee swag of like, do you get a hoodie or what sort of stuff did they give out when you first got there? Yeah. So um, they just had these uh, like buckets of so many t-shirts of very different, um, you know, varied styles. And, um, you know, me being a somewhat cheapskate when it comes to clothing, I mean, it was awesome. Like, I would, I, I think I still have a bunch of their t-shirts because it was just kind of like, yeah, if you want if you want a t-shirt, just grab one. Um, so it was definitely a lot of t-shirts, uh, a lot of stickers. Um, we got hoodies. So it was kind of like that swag and definitely like, you know, representation in the office was like everyone had their stickers and their shirts. And, and, uh, um, so I think there were hats as well that everyone was kind of wearing all the time in the office. And then, you know, in terms of, you know, you mentioned the ping pong table, what were the other sort of daily perks that were within the office? Um, yeah, I think we did, uh, there was a lot of um, alcohol, uh, but like, because we, we were only, you know, I think 15 when I started, um, it wasn't like we had like a beer on top or, you know, and I thought it was just um, one of the um, other engineers was like a huge, you know, craft, craft uh, brewery or craft beer guy. So there was like a craft beer place um, that was like a couple blocks away from the office. And so like every couple of days, he would just go down there with a the company card and then, you know, get a bunch of <clears throat> different types of craft beer and then bring them in and stock up our tiny little beer fridge in the in the office. And so there was a lot of that. Um, and then I think we did, when I started, we did twice a week um, lunches where we would kind of, you know, kind of all huddle around this, that like, I'm sure you've seen it the same, like one Ikea table um, and then uh, eating, eating, you know, various places from, from takeout um, or we would go to the restaurant itself and eat as a, as a group. 
Um, and then as we started getting bigger and our, uh, you know, runway, uh, our cash and bank started to diminish, it went to once a week. And then I think once every other week. And when it was the, you know, it was truly the whole company from the CEO down to, you know, I guess yourself as the junior developer. Yeah, it was everybody. Did you, is it, could you build up a rapport with the CEO or was there a distance because, you know, uh, of your position versus his? So, yeah, that was interesting to me because so, um, you know, during the whole interview process, I think I talked to the CEO probably three or four times, which I thought was also pretty cool because at the other two companies, I didn't talk to the CEO at all. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing that was interesting was like the CEO was um, also a self-taught dev. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that he, you know, we shared in terms of like experiences and like how do you deal with imposter syndrome and kind of he, um, you know, so I would say like initially I felt that I could be pretty open um, and honest and like have, have conversations. And I didn't really feel that there was a, a big distance outside of the fact that there were, you know, um, there was a very clear kind of unspoken rule that, you know, the more senior engineers times is, is the most valuable. So if I have questions, um, you know, it was kind of uh, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> And, and so, you know, you've, so back to the work, you were, you know, sort of introduced as like working on, on the bugs. And so you're, you're sort of fine with that as a, as a way to, to learn. Mm -hmm. How long were you doing that until you started to get a little tired or wanted to do something more challenging? Um, so by nature, I'm a pretty impatient person. Uh, so it was probably maybe three or four months into it where I felt I was getting really, really impatient. I think I kind of were, you know, talked to my friends and, you know, who are also in the same, you know, industry in the, in the area. And they were confused. They're like, you know, I think I did some bug fixes like my first couple of weeks, but then after that, like I was doing feature work. Um, yep. And, you know, so I was like, well, I think it's, you know, you guys are working at bigger companies. It's different. Um, so I think like month three into four, I was really feeling um, kind of, more and more kind of, I guess, resentful towards the fact that I was not doing uh, feature work. And I think the, the, the part that really kind of hammered home the um, kind of uh, the feeling of like uh, frustration was when we ended up going to hire more engineers. Um, so I think one of the things they did like about me was like I'd ended up going to squash a ton of bugs and I you know, wrote a bunch of like documentation and things like that. Um, and so like, you know, I can definitely see it now in my career. Like you don't, you don't really want to repurpose that very productive employee because they're doing like cleaning up a lot of stuff that, you know, no one else really wants to do. So if he's doing a really good job, then, uh, you know, you should keep him there. Uh, so it was kind of, then they were like, okay, we need to actually need to hire more engineers. And obviously, uh, you know, when the younger the startup is, you don't have as much um, kind of cash to play around with. So you're trying to find, you know, the younger, younger and hungrier folks. So we ended up hiring um, kind of two more junior engineers. So I was kind of the first one at the company and then they hired two more. And I think that's when, you know, uh, this was about three or four months after I started. And this is where, you know, I kind of, it kind of became clear to me that like my case was the kind of outlier where kind of they joined and neither of them did any of these, like got assigned these like bug tickets or like, you know, bug, bug fixing type of work. And they were immediately, you know, kind of assigned to a senior engineer. And then they were like, here's, you're going to learn how to write, you know, modern JavaScript and, and react, and you're going to start working on uh, future work right away. 
Right. So yeah, which is exactly what you had wanted to do. Yep. So, uh, so when this happens, what, what recourse did you have? Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'm not shy about being open and honest. So I did, uh, you know, bring it up to the CEO, you know, and, and my manager, um, that like, Hey, like, I feel like I'm being kind of shoehorned into this area. And while I was okay doing it when, you know, when I thought this is what the junior you know, engineers are doing at the company, I feel like it's become clear that this is not what it, we're doing. So I would like to, you know, I've been wanting to go more over doing future work and things like that. Um, so like, you know, what do I need to do to get there? Um, and so they were, you know, and I think at the same time, I think, you know, because, you know, salaries and compensation is all transparent. I also kind of noticed that both these other junior hires were, you know, came in significantly higher than, than what I had come at, uh, come in at. So I was like, kind of, you know, curious about that part too. Um, so they were like, well, you know, we can't do anything about what you came in at, but you know, we can try to expedite a promotion. So I actually ended up did get, uh, getting a promotion about four and a half to five, five months into my time here. Um, and, you know, brought me kind of like closer in parity to like what these newer engineers are making. And then in terms of the actual work, um, you know, they were very diplomatic in, in telling me kind of what I just mentioned about, you know, you're really good at doing, you know, kind of these bug fixes and like supporting our, you know, legacy product. Um, and, you know, kind of all the new feature work is like in a different tech stack. And, you know, you haven't, you don't really know that that well, and we don't have the bandwidth right now to kind of, you know, teach you these things. Um, if you want to do it, and this is the CEO kind of talking to me over a, a lunch um, or one-on-one -on -one lunch uh, one day, was saying, you know, you know, I had to do the same thing when I worked at, uh, you know, his whatever company he did four or five years ago. Um, and he was like, you need to, you know, just figure it out on the side. So if I, if I try to find a project that, you know, uh, would be a new feature or new application for the company, um, and then you write it in kind of like that modern JavaScript and React that you want to do it and then teach yourself there. Um, but he also made it very clear, he said, but you do not do not ask any of the senior engineers for help on this because it really needs to be a self-contained project. So I remember taking that and, um, you know, I didn't really think it was unfair or kind of out of the ordinary or beyond the pale. Um, I just kind of think, oh, this is just like a challenge and I will, and I will, uh, you know, prove, prove the haters wrong kind of thing. So I, uh, and at the same time, the CEO said, you know, but at the same time, you, you know, keep doing all these like bug fixes and, and uh, support issues. Right, so the, this is on on your spare time. Do this yeah. extra work yeah. for us. Yeah. So you know, back then I took, like I said, I was very into like the startup culture. It's like yes, everyone has to wear many hats, and like people need to, you know, live and breathe and bleed the startup, you know, company culture. So I was like, yeah, I got this. So I rolled up my sleeves, and I think, you know, I was, uh, you know, from uh, probably like eight in the morning to four in the afternoon. I was doing like bug fixes and like tech support documentation, you know, like even talking to customers and like hopping on sales calls to like help them, you know, uh, answer any technical questions about our product, our legacy product. Um, and then from like 4.30 to, you know, 10.30 p.m., 11 p.m., midnight, I was just trying to like read up as much as I could about, you know, like the React library, like what the heck is JavaScript because I don't been reading, writing like coffee script at this point. Um, and, you know, then I was like trying to figure out what do I need to build? So then, um, you know, having been there and having been a lot of sales calls and customer calls, I think the biggest thing that, you know, Clippy was kind of missing was being able to show like 
the kind of product value um, to uh, potential customers because the I think the sales demo tool was um, basically just like a static uh, like HTML page, which doesn't really show like showcase like it could be work like you know you could use kind of Clippy for an actual web application if you're only showing me like a single HTML page. Um, so like okay, let me make an actual full like you know business application type thing, and then we can install Clippy in there in the best like tightly integrated way we can. Then we the sales can kind of use that as a tool. And then on top of that, you know, I said, and then there's kind of the other side. I also want to kind of streamline kind of all the types of, you know, bug requests that are coming in as well as like any sort of like, you know, um, all this technical documentation I'm writing because we didn't use Confluence at the time. I think we experimented with a bunch of different tools and none, none of them stuck. So I wanted like a nice like wiki that people can search internally. So I ended up building like a, like an internal dashboard of like kind of like the health of our um, various, you know, clients and their, and their uh, integrations. And then kind of this like demo uh, sales demo tool, um, which ended up being kind of like a clone of, I guess, like Trello um, type of thing. And, you know, I did this in react. It was terribly written, um, you know, zero code review and I got it working and, um, and, you know, I hustled really, really hard and, uh, uh, I think I wrote it, I wrote both of those in about two months. Um, and I don't know if I felt a sense of accomplishment afterward, um, because I had no idea if the code that I wrote was good or bad because no one else had looked at it. I just knew that it worked and, you know, that it did bring, um, it did seem to bring the business value. And actually, uh, they, uh, the sales team, I just heard a lot of praise from the sales team. Like this has made our jobs way, way easier. And I remember like, you know, you know, cause like say a lot of tech sales, like a lot of their uh, compensation is from commission. So they were closing deals left and right with this thing. Um, and so like, I got a lot of free stuff from them, you know, as like thank you gifts. And I didn't really think much of it at the time, but then I realized, wow, I probably just made their jobs. I did make their jobs way easier. So. You know, the, the, the two ideas that you have when you started working on these on your own, did you tell other people in the company, Hey, I'm going to do this. And did you get feedback from them on just whether that was, that these were the right projects to start? Um, so, yeah, I mean, so part of that discussion I had with the CEO was like, you know, you, you know, anything that you come up with, you know, just talk to me directly. So, you know, I really took that as like, oh, the CEO is like picked me out as like, you know, his go-to guy. And, you know, so like, I didn't really talk to a lot of the other <laughs> engineers about, uh, what I was doing. It was kind of like, this is like my little secret project between the CEO and me. And then if I do really well, then like, you know, good things are in store for me at this company. So, I mean, it's, so you, you completed the project. It sounded like the, the sales team really reacted well. What was the CEO's reaction to the stuff you had done? Um, so, I mean, he, he was like, this is awesome. But then, you know, he kind of went through the code and he's like, and then he kind of pointed out to me all these places where the code wasn't great or like, you know, um, this is, you know, evidence of why, like, I'm not ready to do product development, product feature development yet, because, you know, I need to, you know, nail down these other kind of, uh, I guess, idiomatic um, code patterns that I had no idea, obviously, with. And I was like, oh, that's fair. Um, you know, um, do you think I could maybe steal one of the senior engineers' time uh, just to get a little bit more feedback? Um, and at this point, he did say yes. So um, I got, I think, 30 minutes a week with one of the senior engineers <laughs> to code review uh, my, my demo app and my like product uh, documentation app. 
And so, so once you have this, um, their time and you're, you're sort of doing this, this review with them, what were sort of, what was kind of present to you as like the next steps to develop your career? Yeah. So I think the next step was like, uh, you know, getting this into a place where, you know, it met the code standards of, you know, what the CEO, um, said, and then, then we can start, then they was like, then I can easily transition to you into a more product, uh, you know, more, you know, prominently product role, and then, you know, choose the team that you want to be on. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the idea. Um, also during this whole process, we used to have these like quarterly kind of MVPs. So like the MVP of the quarter got a, you know, additional grant of equity. Right. Um, so it was kind of like an honor to get it. And, um, historically it always been kind of the, you know, uh, one of the engineers who, you know, worked really hard and like got a feature out, right. Um, during yeah. that quarter, which it's hard, it's hard to argue. It's like, you know, you're, you're, you're comparing apples and oranges when you're doing the, the calculation of who should be the MVP. Um, and, you know, I really felt at this point that, you know, I, you know, deserved like at least an MVP nom nomination um, or like mm -hmm. a honorable mention on that. Um, and I think the, it was, yeah, it should have been the end, the end of Q1 of 2017 is probably right around when I finished these uh, two apps. And I kind of put that, deadline as a marker of like, I want to get these in for the quarter so I can win, you know, MVP of the quarter. Um, right. And for a company that had been very transparent about all these like processes and things moving forward, the end of Q1 came and it went by. Um, and uh, similarly, there's one senior engineer who, you know, I think is a great engineer, but there was one particular product that he kind of wrote all by himself and he didn't really take on any, you know, help from it. Um, and he uh, had been working on this from since like, you know, basically when I joined the company um, and it had just like missed deadline after deadline after deadline. And the goal was to get it in by the end of Q1. And now we were like, you know, a little bit into Q2 and it looked like he was going to be done about, you know, a month into Q2. And around mm -hmm. that time is when we got kind of like the rumblings about, oh, we're going to have one of these other first twos meetings where we talk about like the, you know, quarter or like the financial monthly financial health of the company and like any other announcements. And then this is where the MVP of the quarter was announced. And lo and behold, it went to this senior engineer who delivered this uh, product um, for, Q, for, for Q1. And so, I mean, the, the fact that you recounted this, you felt obviously disappointed. Like, how did you react at the time? Um, I probably reacted a bit <laughs> immaturely. And this is probably like the beginning of my end at this company was, you know, I felt like I had, you know, worked my butt off uh, and, you know, really felt the kind of like the uh, nepotism and like weird politics that really happen when the company is so small and, you know, the early hires end up being like your friends. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think I was uh, pretty upset about it. I think I, you know, wrote a message to the CEO and I was like, hey, I just want to know like what the um, um, kind of like the calculation went into for, you know, how the MVP was, you know, selected. Because, um, you know, it is, we are not, you know, no longer in Q1 anymore. We're like, you know, into Q2. Um, you know, we've been so good about, you know, announcing them like at the, correctly at the end of each quarter, you know, what happened here. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I did that. And then there was a lot of crickets that I got back. <laughs> And so at this point, what do you, you know, you're still, are you still at this point revising the code on your two projects? 
Um, yeah, at this point, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, still working on those two projects. I think like the sales team had feedback of like, Ooh, like we want to be able to show like this type of, um, you know, clippy, you know, set of, um, features, but like, uh, it's very unique to like a specific type of, you know, web application, uh, like, uh, tool, mm-hmm. can you incorporate it here so that we can show that we do work with that. And so, yeah, I was, I was working on those types of, I guess those are technically feature requests, but you know, no, no real, um, backing behind it outside of just like sales and, and me, the one junior software engineer. Right. And you were, you were still doing this after your normal working hours. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you have this, this disappointment about, uh, not being mentioned for the MVP. Are you still working on this really passionately or is your enthusiasm for it starting to wane? So my enthusiasm for it is definitely starting to wane at this point. Um, I I think I uh, was just like trying to figure out what do I do because you know um, you know I haven't even been at this company for a year yet and I'm already feeling this and I feel like you know mentally there's like I need to get to that one year mark before I can really think of like switching jobs. Um, so yeah, I remember talking to. Uh, like my friends at the time, like I live in actually a house with four other uh, um, roommates who were all were software engineers in the Boston tech scene. So, you know, they were saying like, yeah, this is not normal. Um, this is not the type of, you know, experience we have being uh, like, let's do it. So I think around then they're like, you know, do you want to get referred? Um, and I was like, no, I don't, I don't know what I would do. So I was kind of just like kind of exploring my options at this point. And then at work, I think I was getting increasingly frustrated about kind of like a lack of sudden lack of like communication from um, kind of the the leadership around, you know, what does it actually mean to be an MVP here? Um, and like, what does like a career path look like for people? All right. So before we will we'll do a deeper dive on your leaving, there's one thing that you mentioned that I was very curious about. You mentioned that when the other new junior engineers were hired, you knew what their salaries were. So did everyone in the company know everybody's salary? And I, how did that, that work out? Was there, I mean, you mentioned that for yourself, you, you were a little, you know, put off by the fact that these new hires earned more than you. Did it lead to other tensions or did it actually lead to like, was there a positive aspect to this? Um, I think it was pretty positive because um, pretty much everybody at the same level got the exact same pay. So I think there was a lot of like, I guess, uh, bonding around that. There's like, there wasn't any, like when, you know, sometimes when you interview the company and they give you an offer and they're like, there's no wiggle room, like they were like, yeah, there is really no wiggle room because, you know, if you're coming at this level, then this is the salary that we give you. Got it. And uh, even like ac- across departments, there was no concerns? Yeah, I, I can't really think of there being um, really concerns. I think, you know, the, the, one, the one thing that I found from that was that, oh, I am the absolutely lowest paid employee in the entire company. <laughs> David, how was the health of the company at this time? Like, did you feel like things were going up and to the right? Were things stagnating? Yeah, that's a great question. So right around the time at the end of Q1, um, so like I said, you know, we we had like the very transparent financials. I think we had, um, you know, less than, significantly less than a million in the bank. And it really looked like our cash out date was going, and we were turning uh, customers left and right. Um, actually, in this space, there was a competitor, um, from uh, San Francisco and, you know, 
uh, us in Boston, we have, you know, certain opinions about, you know, what the San Francisco folks are like, and I'm sure they've got, you know, equally um, <laughs> interesting opinions about our Boston folks. But um, it was really funny. I think we were around, we were right around 25 people there. Um, so it, there were about, you know, 10, 10 new people that had started after I had joined. And there's this company in San Francisco that um, was basically just six people and they're all, you know, six engineers and they had the pretty much the exact same product we did. And they were priced, I think $50 cheaper at every single kind of like price point than we were. Um, and the number one thing that they had that we didn't was specifically kind of like that product that I kind of mentioned, um, the senior engineer delivered like into Q2, uh, was, it was kind of this way of like making sure that your, you know, tool tips would show up consistently. Um, and the way that, you know, Clippy had done it was very kind of finicky. Um, but the way this like San Francisco company had done it was like basically the same way that we ended up doing it, but they had just gotten there first. And so, you know, all of Q1, we had really lost a lot of business to this, you know, six person company. And, you know, um, that was really interesting to see. And at the same time, um, you know, I think there were a few kind of like key accounts that, um, Clippy had uh, that were, you know, led a lot of, you know, credibility to the kind of company and like, you know, the product, but they had kind of signed on when Clippy was, you know, a three person company with no clients. Um, and the volume was so high that we were losing, you know, tens of thousands of dollars every single month because they had so many different um, users of our product on their platform. So um, we were trying to like renegotiate those and those were not going well because, you know, this company was kind of like, hey, like I could just go to your competitor um, and it'd be cheaper. Or like, you know, we can also just afford to go to kind of, you know, upmarket and go to the, your, you know, other competitor, which is older, but also has a lot more features than you kind of provide. So it like, I would say we were churning a lot of customers and we were, um, you know, this was before I like kind of delivered my sales demo tool. We were not closing a lot of whole new deals. And so I, I do remember that, um, the number 400, so we were trying to get to 400 total customers by, uh, by Q2, by the end of Q2, because if we did, then like, it would be a really good sign signal to our investors that we were, you know, growing our customer base. Um, they weren't as concerned about our revenue at this time at this point, but they were like really concerned about, we were constantly growing customers. And, um, I think when I joined, we were around 120 customers. And then, um, by Q1, we were, I think still like around under 200 and during Q, we were still under 200 customers. Um, and after I had, uh, delivered that or like, like with the sales tool go live, um, we ended up closing a ton of deals and we got, I think at the end of Q1, we were just under um, like 350 or something. So it was not quite the 400, but it was like, we felt really confident, you know, after Q2, we would have hit that thing. So, you know, we're only one quarter behind what, you know, kind of the investors were expecting. So um, I would say the financial health right around like the Q1, Q2 transition was definitely in a very precarious place. Got it. Now, I guess pivoting to when you're actually leaving uh, Clippy, of course, there's this time of, you know, you didn't win the MVP award. Was there anything else that really triggered you to start considering leaving? 
Yeah, I think it was kind of just like more uh, conversations with, uh, you know, as like the longer you spend time like going to meetups or like just, you know, hanging around, you know, friends who are in the same industry, you kind of get to hear this, their stories of like what they're doing at work, like what their, you know, career progressions look like or kind of like just what they're, you know, doing day to day. And I'm like, wow, this is very different than the kind of the experience that I've had. Um, and so I was like, I kind of want to join, you know, I think what I've learned has like, how do I write? a ton of code really, really poorly, but very, very quickly, right? And I was like, I don't really mm -hmm. want to be that that software engineer who writes bad code quickly. I want to be that software engineer who has like, you know, very elegant and efficient code um, at a reasonable pace. Um, it's like, I need, I want to find a place that will let me do that. And um, it seems like, you know, I just joined kind of at like the inopportune time where I think the newer kind of junior software engineers were getting some more of that kind of uh, uh, support and training, but I, I just did, you know, unluckily didn't get in at the, at the right time for that process to be in place. Um, so it's kind of like thinking, okay, I want whatever I do next, I want, or whatever is, you know, fastest possible for me to be able to start getting that type of like mentorship and like career growth in terms of my technical skill set. That was like, started to become way, way more important to me. Now, is there anything that you know you really appreciate about Clippy that would make you want to stay longer? Um, yeah, I do actually like you know the um, while we while we were doing the uh, you know uh, first twos on a regular basis as well as mm -hmm. like the transparent you know compensation bands and like philosophies, I actually really appreciated that. Um, I think not enough companies really do that for fear of like you know unrest and like you know weird messaging around things, but. In terms of like, you know, uh, egality and like, um, you know, not uh, accidentally discriminating against like certain groups of people, I think it's like a good step. Obviously, I think there's like, at this point, there's probably a good balance and trade-off between them. But that is something I did really like about the company was that um, in terms of like the company financials and like what we needed to do to get to like kind of like that next level of like either revenue or like investment round, um, I really like that transparency. So um, that is something that I do uh, I like applaud them for today. Now let's hear about uh, when you actually left Clippy. What happened that day? Yeah, so <laughs> you know, I think ever since that like Q1 MVP was announced, I was you know getting very very resentful and frustrated, and um, you know I you know, sent a lot of messages to the CEO. I sent messages to like the eng manager, and I you know wasn't getting a whole lot of like good responses, or they were just kind of like you know. Um, you know, everything's busy, like, you know, we're trying to get to that 400 customer number. We're also trying to like renegotiate our terms with like our biggest client, as well as like try to figure out how in the heck do we shave off our like AWS bill from being so freaking massive um, that we're losing so much money every <laughs> single month. Um, and, and at the same time, like, how do we go and start talking to investors about, you know, raising our next round of funding? Um, so I think like they just had a lot bigger concerns at the time looking back now, but obviously, you know, I was a 20, what, 24 and a half years old then, you know, and, uh, I think the CEO was, um, 28, which looking back now is it's not, it's not an old age at all, but as a 24 year old, you see someone who's 28, you know, that person is like, should be very mature and should definitely, you know, have everything together. That's kind of the way I viewed it. Um, so, you know, I just kind of was getting frustrated and I was like, Hey, can we just, you know, talk? Um, and so he's like, sure. So we got into like our one little conference room and, um, you know, I was talking about like, you know, 
maybe use some expletives about, you know, kind of the, you know, the, the messaging around like how a quarterly MVPs work and like who ended up actually winning it um, and like the timing of it. And, you know, especially then my personal career, like I felt like I did not have the same level of support or resources allocated to me. And I, you know, you know, any type of act support or resources I wanted, it would felt like, you know, it was a lot of do it on your own time or, you know, really have to fight for it. And in, in, in a way that, um, you know, I, I felt was uh, not helping me grow in my career, right? Very, very selfish mm-hmm. point of view. <laughs> and so, um, you know, the CEO was kind of saying like, hey, like, you know, you were kind of explaining to me like, you know, this is, you're really good at, you know, you came in like not knowing anything and you learned a bunch of stuff um, and then kind of flipped the script and was talking about like all the things I had accomplished and like how good they were for the company. And, you know, and then I kept kind of coming back to this idea of like, well, like how did that not factor into this like MVP discussion? How, you know, why is it that like, I'm still having to fight for like my right to start working on like, you know, true product feature development um, and things like that. And he's like, yeah, like, you know, I hear you. Um, you know, I think, you know, uh, you know, you're a valuable member of like the company, um, but, you know, we can't just do that overnight, um, kind of things like that. And he's like, we need to come up with a transition plan. Um, and so he's like, let's see, like, we need to hire a few more people. Um, and then I think we can maybe transition you into um, that, you know, the, the product team that you want to be on um, in, I think he said, like the next six to 12 months. Right. And, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> obviously like that, looking back now, it's like, it's not that much of a time wait, but, you know, I was very impatient. I had, I had gotten, you know, a promotion, I guess, um, and comp adjustment within, uh, I guess, four or five months of me being there. And so, you know, I really was not in the mood to kind of wait. And I was like, can we make that, you know, today? And he's like, I don't think I can do that today uh, because of, you know, in my ruffle the feathers of other people who have been here longer. Um, you know, it, uh, there's also all the stuff that you're good at that, like, we don't really have a replacement for right now. Um, and, you know, I was like, well, okay, like, uh, should I just go and get some other offers? Because it seems like I could go get a, you know, product, uh, developer offer like today, um, kind of thing. He's like, you know, I don't want you to do that. Uh, but you know, you know, let's, let's think about, you know, what we can do. Let's focus on like our, our transition plan type of thing. And so, um, I was like, are you really, you know, think that it could be a a six month timeline, um, at the earliest. And he's like, yeah, six to 12 months, um, type of thing. And I was like, well, I don't know if I can wait that long. So I would rather just go find a job today. Um, so that's kind of like how that conversation went. Um, and the CEO, like, I mean, I was definitely irate was very uh, um, careful, I guess, and uh, didn't want me to, I guess, like, <laughs> rile up some of the other coworkers, because I think a lot of them had been also, you know, I got them to, like, talk to the CEO um, and everything about kind of, like, my frustrations, because they also agreed that, hey, it was kind of, you know, bogus that the this senior engineer, you know, if he had gotten the MVP for Q2, I don't think anybody would have complained, but for Q1, it did seem like a stretch. So that was kind of how that conversation went. And I, um, I like the one line I do remember him saying was like, you know, he was kind of um, the reason why I couldn't move 
that day was, you know, you're very valuable to the company of what you do right now. And like the second thing is, you know, like I mentioned in, you know, some of your code that you wrote for this, like, you know, demo app, like you're just not there in terms of like the code quality to work on our product team yet. Um, so, and, you know, I think those, those words definitely stung and they were kind of like, um, you know, I didn't want to stick around uh, for another six months to a year um, uh, to have this company who hadn't really supported me in my career development, um, you know, and, and see if I could get that somewhere else. And did you have any stock options at this time to execute? I did. This is why, like, it's, you know, looking back, it was really dumb because I didn't understand what a cliff was. <laughs> and, and I had been like, if I had, if I had waited, I think like, uh, like six weeks or something, I would have vested the, or they gotten the hit the cliff. So I couldn't wait though at that time. So, uh, you know, I, yeah, I think I, uh, yeah, looking back, I, I definitely should have done that. And I did not. And, um, you know, now, now I know better, but, uh, yeah, so I had, I had, uh, but it, you know, even in the compensation sheet, I think I had the fewest number of stock options. So I don't really know how much it would have been worth today. And you know, it's, uh, I, I've trade, I've since traded um, one, you know, lottery ticket for another at a, a another startup. So after that conversation with the CEO, like, did you just walk out that day, or were you there for two more weeks, or how how was like the how was your actual departure? Yeah. So really what happened after that was, um, you know, we had that conversation, uh, and you know, I think I, I think I went home pretty much after it. It was like kind of in the early afternoon. Um, so like not too crazy that I left and then, um, came in kind of the next day and then he was like, well, you know, uh, do you want to, you know, stick around for like another week or so, um, or a couple of weeks or like, what do you want to do? And, you know, I was like, honestly, like, I, I don't really want to do any more work here. Um, so it was kind of, I think, yeah. So the next day it was like, okay. So then we like, you know, we sat down together, deprovisioned me off of everything. And then I, I went home um, after like lunch on that, uh, the next day after. So that's how it went. Did you say bye to your... I did. I did say, I said bye to kind of the coworkers. And I actually had like dinner plans with a couple of them that same day. So then... Um, I like went home and then like met them back <laughs> at the office later to go get dinner. I love it. What was their reaction? Um, I think they, uh, they were really, I think they were sad to see me leave, but I think they were all kind of um, at that point, you know, either uh, like, I would say like every, like you know, I said, I joined kind of an inopportune time. So like, I think folks who joined a bit after me had a better experience with like kind of the support and training that they got. And then the folks before me were, you know, definitely too bought in to, to do anything. So, you know, I think they were definitely bummed out and, uh, and, you know, they didn't really want to see me leave and they, uh, but they definitely understood why I was doing, they, you know, agreed that, you know, for my personal career that, um, you know, probably, I would probably get a faster result by going somewhere else and at clippy are they still around how, how are they doing today yeah um so they ended up raising a uh, series a round um about a year after i left um and 
uh, I think they're, you know, they're still around today. Um, of the people that I worked with then, at least in engineering, um, I think only one of them is still there. So David, if we could take a time machine back to when you had those three offers from those three different tech companies, would you still go with the one from Clippy or would you have picked a different option? I would have picked a different option. I think I would have gone to the uh, publicly traded um, fitness tracking company uh, just because they would have had a bit more. I think they're not like they weren't that big then. Um, and, uh, you know, I think they had would have had a bit more process in place as well as kind of, you know, just more people uh, just to help me um, kind of grow in my, in my skill set. Um, and, you know, I think the, the idea of like, um, like knowing what I know now, like, you know, it, it didn't matter that I thought I had chosen the company that had the tech stack that I wanted to work in um, <laughs> because I ended up not writing most of my code in that language. Got it. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. What a journey. I think the most ridiculous thing from the story, Jake, is the fact that David wasn't able to leverage the senior engineer's time at all. I know when I was new at a company, I was always encouraged to go talk to you know people who've been at the company for a while or worked on the project just to get more insight. But being literally banned from talking to them was very strange. Right. And you know, it was ridiculous then as at the end, the CEO dings him for not having perfect code but he's a junior engineer with no experience and he's not allowed to talk to anyone. Like, what did the CEO expect? Um, I think it's a bit absurd. And then, you know, he had to do to prove himself. He had to do this hack, you know, this hack project outside of normal office hours. And that's sort of fine in one sense. But the thing is, it was then a tool that brought the company a lot of money. And it's just, again, very strange that, you know, something that is going to bring the company value is being done. If you're being asked, you're asking your employer to do this thing that helping benefiting the company outside of his normal nine to five. Like when is that appropriate to say you have to go above and beyond the 40 hour work week that we hired you for? Yeah, no, I, I think that is an interesting point. Cause I feel at least when I look at it with the teams I work on is, you know, definitely if you have a live site or an emergency, you know, you have to log on, you have to fix those things, especially if it's business critical. But of course, you should have a process laid out for when you need someone to come on after hours to do those things. And maybe occasionally for a late night push for a final project. But outside of that, you know, I, I would say most employers shouldn't be asking their employees to work that late past normal hours at that point. Right. And also it's like this idea, oh, if you want to improve your career, you have to work beyond what's expected of you. That seems a, a bit unreasonable, but you know it plays into the myth of a startup that you have to go the extra mile to get the company to take off, that just working that nine to five isn't good enough. If you wanted that, you should go work at a big company instead. Yeah, but I have to say though, as a PM, when I know engineers are working hard on the most high priority thing, I'm very happy. But if I know someone's working on a side project that we then have to support and worry about and worry about breaking... I don't know if I'd be, be so stoked about those things being released unless they were a true priority for the company. I, you know, I want people to work on the most important thing, which should be happening during the workday. Right. And, and it should be worked on by the entire team talking to each other, not just, hey, junior engineer, go off on your own and figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, 
the thing that really jumped out at me is that this is certainly the most heated example we have of quitting we've ever had on the show. That uh, you know, normally people just sort of come to the end, they give their two weeks, and then they they leave. But to leave on the day just because you know you were so upset about where your career was going, uh, that's pretty intense. You know, I wonder how much of David's influence here was based on you know what his friends, his housemates were saying, and where he should be in his career versus where he was and this kind of expectation of, oh, I should be doing this type of work and not this type of work and being so so certain in that. Not saying one one group was wrong or right, but how much of that influenced him. If his housemates weren't saying that, would he still feel the same way and, and have left so soon? Right, because obviously it was, it's frustrating for him that he saw newer junior employees getting the help that he never got. But at the same time, exactly those, those external factors of, you know, you shouldn't be doing bug fixes anymore. You should be doing feature work. How much does that play into like your happiness at work? I often, I often think this about myself that, you know, I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. I, I don't want much in life. But then I look at LinkedIn and I see my former colleagues who are now VPs or, uh, you know, at, at much more successful companies than where I'm at. And I get this angst, like, what am I doing with my career? Why aren't I, you know, a VP at Google or whatnot? And it's if I don't look at LinkedIn, I don't ever have that feeling. But when I hear those outside forces, uh, it, it makes me feel bad about where I am. Yeah, I, I think the big thing that plays into that, Jake, is you know the tech industry is definitely worse in this place because you know the wins are so big, and you definitely know someone who's had that win. You know where they get that IPO lottery ticket, and you know they're they don't need to work anymore. Maybe they're just working for fun, but you know you're still slaving away nine to five trying to make things work. And it, you know, it can make it, you feel like, what am I doing wrong when realistically it's just a matter of luck opposed to actual matter of work or skill to get there. I'm glad you say that it's luck because I sometimes do feel bad about myself that I don't own a $10 million house. So thank you for saying it. It's not a character flaw. And thanks for joining us this week. And we'll be back next month with a new episode of Tales from the South Graveyard. Unless one of us has an IPO that allows us to retire from this grind of podcasting. <laughs>